Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Uttang namang sanghang namasami So this is New New Year's Eve. So something that can carry quite a lot of of uh, meaning for us. Just the fact that for many people it's a holiday, and uh, so that's a way. Sometimes we come out of some of the patterns of our daily lives, you know, which can be quite compulsive and driven, you know, working and eight o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock, do this, one o'clock, do this, three o'clock, do this, five o'clock, then six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, and then right, seven o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning, right, and food, food, and then rush, eight, nine, and then one o'clock, and then right, one thirty, three o'clock, Cup of tea, and five o'clock, bus, and train, seven o'clock, eat something, watch telly, <laughs> for many days, you know, whatever it is, it's a kind of rhythm, and see, you know, how, how much does one actually kind of own that rhythm, you know, how much do you, or is it just, you know, something you're kind of conditioned into, because that's what the working life asks or asks of you you know so we go into that and recognizing it's not actually a natural bodily rhythm you know you take the sign of the breath for example or what it's like to wake up you don't suddenly bing you know you are awake it's kind of you come too slowly you breathe in now it's a different flowing thing than the more hard-edged world of conventional clock time with bells and things like that and so you move moving into something that you know is stressful actually whatever the content is and sometimes the content itself is, is extremely stressful you know, high impact loud can't hear what's going on the traffic noise or music and can't look at things closely because you've got to keep your eyes darting around to avoid getting hit by something uh, and then maybe there's five or six things you've got to think about in in quite brief period of time. What you're doing, where you're going, what this person's doing, uh, what's happening tomorrow, yesterday, you know, and so forth. So actually, you know, the net result which we we learn we learn to live with is is of a general manageable state of panic, um, sort of like a low-grade battlefield, the battlefield of the day. And because, actually, by and large, we physically don't get killed by it, it's okay, but energetically, it has quite a effect the body. And what the body is affected by very much affects the way we can sense ourselves, when we value ourselves, we feel 
rushed, pushed, pressurized, deflated, sunk, collapsed, challenged, loved, respected, you know, those all it may sound like emotional psychological states, but they're also the embodied states. You know. So if you are in a place that's that's cold and dark, then your body tends to tighten up and you feel you don't feel happy and joyful. Mm. Some of it maybe psychological has effects on the body. You see hostile people, abusive language, your body tightens up. So you get these very strong bodily effects and emotional effects, and the two are interwoven. But I think what one is to recognize is even when, you know, there's not really technically, you know, um, nobody's doing violence to you or threatening you, still being in a, in a, a rhythm like that every day definitely has an effect on the body's energy and that very much affects um, the mood of the heart. By and large, the more um, driven, the more, less we are actually in our own time, our own space, you know, able to attune to our own bodies, the more driven we are, the more the heart will have to um, seize up, cut, shut down a bit. Mm. Not completely, of course, but the more less uh, fluent, joyful, marveling it becomes. So, because of the sense of in the heart when it's open, like a child, is 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 wondrous. You know, the sense of marveling and the ability to see the uniqueness of things. Well, when we get into the nine to five, then that very much goes, doesn't it? Um, and we can think, well, it's because because you know what's going to happen every day. But actually, every day there is it is different. It just it, it seems the same because. In fact, our heart only attunes to certain, you know, it gets programmed into, into sensing what one has got accustomed to. Yeah. And we can even begin to just see each other like that as, as the, the function, you know, hello morning, yeah, right, mine, yeah, bye now, see you later. You know, she, who was that? It's got vague, you know, blur of people. Um, this happens. It happens in monasteries. Mm. We get into our our do it and routines and times and get this done by. Then the heart faculty um, is affected by that, and we become slightly, um, you know, the the perspectives close down. We tend to see things in terms of getting things done for the future, making things sure things are done okay for the future, getting through, getting through the day, getting this sorted out so that. Mm, noticing just in um, situation that we're in at the moment, we're, we're getting ready for the winter retreat. <laughs> you know, And so that came in quite a lot of planning, well, who's going to be here in March and what should we do in February and uh, so forth. And so that one can actually find oneself into this state whereby the present moment is just, I don't know, because I'm, you know, right now I've got to get on and tidy this up or sort that out so that in the future 
well, you know, it's really going to be good. And uh, I want us to be aware of this <laughs> tendency. <laughs> I was thinking today, I was writing this summary saying, I'm just tying up some loose ends. And as I reflected on that, I noticed that there seemed to be, just even as I tied them up, seemed to be more loose ends seemed to be appearing. It was like um, one of those those sweaters as you start to just pull this thread big to get this this little annoying thread seems to be hanging loose. I just pull this and oh, looks like a bit more has come out. <laughs> and there's sort of a sense of a huge mass of, of things that one could think about or need to tidy up before. And that's life, isn't it? It's pretty un it's it doesn't have clear edges to it. It does unravel. There are relatives and people I should have written to and um, things to set up and things to remind and you know physical things and you know the fabrics, structures, materials, people, that, that, that engagements and so forth. And I've been trying in, in this year to, to say to people, um, I don't know. You know, people say, well, would you come here in, in 2004? I say, I don't know. Would you like to teach a retreat here? 2004, I said, I, I don't know. Um, does that mean you don't want to teach it? No, it doesn't mean, it just means I don't know. Um, it, it means what I'm trying to do is, is stop uh, having my two years ahead booked up for me for, for, before I've got there. You know, just as just as a, as a thing I'd like to do for a while, just to not have 2006 happening in 2003. <laughs> And, see, and so I feel actually can be in one's own time and then well, this looks I think I'd like to do this or well, help out there or something like that and I realise this is you know there are very practical reasons why we plan things in advance and so forth um, yet it can become rather compulsive so the life is, is driven along mm. Now, though we may not be able to, you know, live a whole life, a whole life without planning, is it possible to have a day without it? Is it possible to have maybe a morning without it? How about half an hour? <laughs> you know, this is meditation, isn't it? Or you don't have to... what wait for the next breath to happen and just if this is the last breath fine you know just let it go let the next in breath happen by itself really getting to the end of the out breath and wait <coughs> gracefully graciously see if there's going to be an in breath so that if you you know if you actually do that in meditation you can re- recognize you know, and it's quite subtle in meditation how even when we're just doing something like sitting, breathing in and out, we're not thinking, planning, the our energies could be so driven that something is already pushing for the next moment to get it together. You know, so that I'll be calmer or I'll be more insightful or I'll be, you know, get my practice going rather than what's it like just to, to breathe out as if, 
you don't know whether it's going to be in breath. And get to the end of the out breath and wait. And then you begin to feel when you do that, you've really surrendered. You can feel how the body, you can feel the body energy after the out breath, continuing to unwind, past the past the point when you breathe when the air has left your body, past the point when the, the, the muscles in the body have completed their, their respiration, even past that, energy still continues to unwind and then it stops. And it starts to change and shift. And you get a feeling for what the completeness of something like breathing in and out is and what the, in your, actually what your own energy is, you know, your body's own energy, when it's not controlled when it's not driven you know by external factors or by how we've built those external agencies into our into our own ways of conceiving ourselves or conceiving our time or conceiving our bodies or conceiving our breathing you know so even when you we kind of imagine breathing or talk about it, it's always i breathe i am breathing out i am breathing in and though this is just a, wor- a verbal thing, when it's like that, then that, that I am sense is, is the holding, is the sense of I'm doing it. And then, even though there's maybe no deliberate articulated plan, there is a sense of the becoming, you know, the about to, the going on of it all. So there's no real sense of real deep release and a kind of return to innocence and then a real sense of allowing, you know, the new to arise in its own um, amazing state, marvellous state. Which, you know, on, on a sensory level can be absolutely nothing. You know, we're just sitting here in our rooms, sitting here wherever we were. It's the same old place, and yet, because the energy, when one is turn, when one is attuned to a, a real uh, natural energy, it's marvelous. You know, the quality of marveling is there. The, the primal innocence is there. And you need to sense this. This is pure. This is what we mean by purity, not righteousness, but the purity of not contaminating, not sullying, not pressure, not, not adding something when it doesn't need to be added. I don't need to breathe. I've never needed to breathe. It just, it just does it for me. Mm. What's it like, you know, to pick up a, a tone like that? You know, what does the I am do under that? Well, at first, of course, it's very, very difficult for I am to actually trust anything to happen without me doing it or me being there or me making sure it works properly um, and then even if we, we do allow ourselves that movement past security you know, you know the I am sense can feel quite threatened it's, it can feel almost like dying you're breathing out the unknown, 
and yet breathe, and yet it's also marvelous if you can begin to trust and allow that that energy. Here we are. Mm. So if we, you know, can do this for half an hour, ten minutes even, then it's like a, a shifting or a realignment where we can perhaps have more opportunities in this in this world as it is to enter it a little less pre-planned, a little less preconditioned, a little less automatic, a little less structured, and something, you know, intuitive, real intelligence, not just purely intellectual knowledge, but sensitivity can enter our lives. And they can be rich, rich and blessed. I think this is what something that that we can uh, relate to, what we sense of that new year, the new, the old, you know, the connotations of such terms. What is it we, we, why do we celebrate new year, you know? The sense of, oh, it could be different, it could be fresh, it could be bright, it could be clean, it could be better, couldn't it? old but it's probably a bit worn out, solid, carrying some some things that are, you know, painful or feeble or we want to clean it, let go of the old, come into the bright and the new. Some of us anyway. You know, you know for some people it just it's part of just to drink. Just to clean out the old just by just by going to some kind of oblivion. <laughs> Just wash it out in a tide of, of beer, of spirits, music. So it's just to try and flush, flush it all out of the system in that way. Why do people do these things? It's a lot of hard work, costs a lot. You feel terrible the day after. Um, what is it in us that kind of so wants to you know, kick off the traces, kick off the, the old, the, the tired, the hurt, the regretted, the misapprehended, the mess-ups, the boring, the angry, this kind of... And we, if people can't do that, then you've got to basically use um, something else to, to wash it away, drown your sorrows, they say. <clears throat> but in meditation is something like the entering the new, but it's not really the new. Hmm. It's the present. The unfolding present. So if we, <coughs> you know, don't understand what this, what our interest in the, the new or the fresh or the new horizons are, and we think it's something that's going to happen out there, this is always confusing, isn't it? So you, when you election, you can elect a new government that's going to do something different. You know, now things are going to change. 
We hear this time and time again. And, uh, you know, and yeah, so you sort of shift, shift the furniture around in the same old place, as it were. It's like, you know, so you sort of make a few different noises and shift, shift things around a bit. And after a while, you think, oh, these people are no good, same as the last bunch of creeps. Get somebody new. <laughs> But there isn't anybody new. <laughs> it really, you know, it's just re- rehash. Because if we haven't understood the underlying um, patterns of compulsion and fear and um, violence and intolerance and demand, then nothing is ever new. It's just it's always the same with different characters playing different roles. You know, so you can the new enemy is this. You know, uh, shifted from the um, communist world, now it's the new enemy in the Islamic world. You know. For a while it'll be somebody else, you know. So you get the new new world order, <laughs> which is pretty much the same kind of um, strategies as the old world order. You know, kind of fear, power, defense, manipulation, beating people up. Um, you know, different, slightly different jazzed up language, compassionate conservatives was what I think language George, George Bush got in on, compassionate conservatives phrase of the that somehow was there for that election <laughs> whatever that means <laughs> which means the best of the old and the best of the new combined of course great well I mean you know this is everywhere isn't it you go to you look on a shaving cream bottle it will seem pretty much the same <laughs> the new traditional recipe <laughs> the new improved tradition New, improved, but traditional and well tested. So you try to get the best of the of the perceptions of the old as traditional and that which you can trust, and then the best of the new, which is improved and bright and cheaper or fragrant or improved or whatever. And that's everything, from politicians down to soap. That's that's the world order. <laughs> yeah, what, and yeah, you know, so you. That movement towards the new, or the fresh, or the improved—where, where, where? Well, that is that. There's, there's a reality in that. There is a heart wish for that. There is a sense of well, we could do better. Uh, it's in change. It's improve. But it's not. It doesn't happen through those external, you know, bases. It happens through holding the old, understanding the old understanding it, forgiving it, healing it. It doesn't come through dumping it, dismissing it, blaming it, being arrogant, saying, oh, well, we know we know better. You know, 
we've got it all sorted out, this is the new thing, get rid of that old stuff. The arrogance of the, the mind. Everything from politics to religion, everything, the arrogance of, of, the, of that, of, of the youth. But it's through holding, not just blotting out the old, but really holding it. It's something you get, if you begin to sense that, like now I'm 54 years old, or the body's 54 years old, and... um, it's like this. So, you know, I tune into that, and I, not just the idea of actually the feeling of it, the sense of it, the energies in that. It's not like being 19. You're 19, you hardly sit down. 54, you can hardly stand up. <laughs> You stand up, you go, oh. <laughs> and then you sit down, you go, oh. <laughs> it, it does that. <laughs> you know, don't necessarily make the noises, that's the energy does that. It doesn't want to jump up. When I was 19, it was, oh, let me get on, get out of here, get going, this kind of thing. But uh, you want to get to the, the new bit. But now, actually, it's more, it's kind of been through enough begin to recognize the patterns and as the energy is become more attuned to the natural energy of things um, I don't think it's just purely aging but it's actually living more intimately with one's body and mind and contemplating it you begin to sense is the kind of you know there's nowhere to go really it's not a matter of rushing onto the next thing but really feeling it what is that push towards the next thing towards the future towards that What's that about? What am I getting away from? What am I trying to blot out? What am I trying to dump? And say, ah, forget that, dump it, you know? And I really don't trust that. That's ignorance in my mind. That's that's a delusion in my mind. Because where are you going to dump it? Yeah, there isn't anywhere else apart from where we are. Yeah. There's no, there's no a way to throw things away into because they, you remember them. I can still have regrets. I can remember things that are still with me. You know, quite poignant things. Mm. Things one neglected to do or things one did and wish one hadn't done. You can't throw them away. But I can hold them more carefully and feel and breathe in and breathe out through that. So this is a way, if you like, of kind of, you know, to use perhaps slightly charged language of redeeming or, or healing or the, the, the old. So that when it's coming more into the a fuller, more complete 
fulfillment in the present rather than trying to dump it and get to something different in the future. And I don't think it's purely a matter of of aging because I do sense that you know sometimes what seems slightly odd to me is when you get, you know people whose bodies are sixty, seventy, or eighty, you know, sort of going to the new the new high. Eighty-five-year-old man sort of marrying some twenty-three-year-old girl, You're still trying to shake it around like your um, spring chicken. You know, and I think this seems absurd to me, strange, odd sort of thing to be doing. It's like, what? What is the? What, where are we? What is the new? You know? And we come to terms with our lives. This seems more important, the the hungers and the unfulfilled and the regretted and the sense of inadequate, not quite got it, not quite right. And you come to terms with that. And you can sense it's 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 not we can find the topics for that. But essentially you know, it's a kind of, almost like a fundamental, unsteady sense that we, as we meditate and come into the present, and you come, whatever the topics that go through the mind, you're feeling that. And it's the sense that comes, it's like a certain um, insecure, which comes from, um, walking on the, the polished floor or the ice rink or the slippery, uneven staircase of life. So when you live in, in a, uh, a, a world where suddenly, you know, things break down, people don't pay their debts, suddenly you're in big trouble financially, um, there's big machines rushing through the streets at you, there's there's people you don't trust, things like that. Then the body gets this sense of not necessarily physical attack, but this isn't a steady ground. This is like, you know, walking on quicksand. This is like uh, walking on a polished floor with your socks on. You could, you know, make a false move here, you'll be fall over, you'll get hurt. And that very sense, in, in the bodily sense, you know, creates this uh, or, or removes the fundamental quality of real, full bodily presence, which is calming and steady. And when we miss that, we don't have that, the heart doesn't settle. The heart hasn't got a place to settle because the body sense is not open enough and big enough and spacious enough to hold it. So the body sense is tight. The heart doesn't have a place to sit and rest. So the heart is agitated. And this wobbling in the heart creates these impulses and this feeds into the way we think and imagine and project. Including the way that we can imagine ourselves as problem, problematic beings. You know, we think about ourselves from, from, a, from an unsteady place and from that unsteady place we, we pick up and conceive and obsess with that which we can find unsteady or blemished or flawed. We create ourselves. 
It's all created out of a wobble. Because when you uh, really go into your body energy and calm down, you don't create yourself. There isn't, there is, you don't need to because you, know, you, you are there, if you like. You are yourself. You don't need to create one. <laughs> so that, that, that creation of self is a kind of nervous habit. It's rather like something keeps saying, am I all right? Am I all right? Have I got it right? Am I, am I sure I'm okay here? Is it all right? I better know this, am I that? So there's this con- continual flickering reference. Is it, and then around that, because you can't just keep saying that, the mind doesn't do that, that would be completely going mad. But it does it with topics like, have you phoned so-and-so? Have you sent a birthday card? Have you checked this? Have you done that? Have you, or... I wonder what's happening on telly, I wonder what so-and-so is doing, or speculations, or maybe I'll go here in 2004, maybe I'll do there in 2005, or I wonder if the planet's going to blow up in six years' time, won't need to get a mortgage, or, you know, this kind of activity of mine, most of which one recognises is pretty discursive and irrelevant in many ways. Why? Why does it do that? Because it's like, if it keeps going, at least it tells you there's somebody here. There's me here. And that creation of self is a kind of, uh, almost like a nervous reaction that occurs when you're you're not being yourself. You're not in that completion of oneself. So it's like something needs a reference to find ground, something needs to be grounded and reassured. If you haven't got the right thing there, then the mind will come up with something else for you to give you a sense of something to hang on to. We, the system actually needs a reference, needs ground, needs refuge. We can't find refuge in, in true being, in purity. We take refuge in a constructed person, constructed self, a constructed world, a constructed future, a constructed past, a constructed situation. And uh, we, we move into that constructed world, we imprint it, we act upon it, we speak about it with each other, we build it up. So it becomes real, you know, very real. We live it out. You know, if you live it out and put energy into it, it becomes that way. And uh, when you have a, a cooperation of, of millions, billions of people, um, who for one reason or another are not in that refuge place, this you know, huge thing, it certainly keeps going. This is samsara. It's a constructed. And it, it's self, we need it. We need to handle the language and the structures and the constructions that, that the world is operating in. This becomes the real world, doesn't it? And some of the absurdities of the real, real world. Absurdities of frontiers and absurdities of of um, you know throwing millions of tons of food away to keep the prices steady, even people are starving. 
you know, the logic of it is to dump it in the sea or dump it down a pit rather than feed people with it. That makes sense. It makes economic sense, perfect sense for the well-being of human beings is to throw their food away. You know, you put it like that, it doesn't sound so sensible, but if you put enough language around it, it becomes incredibly uh, necessary and logical. Mm. For the welfare of human beings, produce, spend more money on weapons of destruction than on, we- than on nourishment. Makes perfect sense. Spend a lot more money on weapons of destruction than on uh, nourishment and health. That sense of that sense in the constructed world, like that. Constructed world is so that you know pollute the planet so that the economy is good. Destroy destroy the planet you're living on. This will be good for you. Mm. <laughs> you know, and it, it makes perfect sense. You kind of, of course, you don't say it quite like that. You kind of add a few facts and figures and da 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 jobs in pen, in this country and so and so so and so. And there we are. You know, okay. See the seas drying up, the rivers are polluted, the animals are dying. You know the rains, the rains, climate's going wacky. The rain's not coming, flooding here. Oh, never mind. <laughs> you know. Uh, so you see some of these ab- absurdities uh, in the in the constructed world, where the construction, the driven sense, and all the paradigms that go behind in terms of progress and success and improvement which are all wonderful terms, but what are they being applied to? You, know, um, you begin to see, well, if this is progress and success, well, yeah, it's got some nice features to it, but, wow, there's some side effects here that are, we haven't taken into account. Because we haven't really, you know, found uh, the kind of wisdom that can embrace planetary life as it is. With things like, you know, aging of the body, death, birth, food, hunger, you know, very fundamental things, fundamental things like trust and security and and peace and kindness, such fundamental things that you say them, they sound like old cliches again, because they have become so, you know, inducted into jargon that they become meaningless too. Mm-hmm. And up in the head, it just becomes more babble. Heard it before. When you're trying to feel what peace, trust feels in a bodily sense, this is news. Because mm-hmm. this is the real world. When you feel the reality of it, saying, yes, in my head, I want you know, peace and love for everybody, but in my guts, I feel like I'm defending myself because <laughs> I feel in hostile territory. I feel frightened. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't trust you and that. Mm-hmm. And how we come out of that you know, by acknowledging it, seeing, uh, you see, you know, before I ask you to do anything at all about that, can I, just check out how true that is, where the truth of that is felt. Truth is felt in the tightness in my guts or in the, you know, clenching, 
Mm. And how is that necessary right now? And so, in a way, we really come to the intimacy of the world. The intimacy of it is, is this, this, this patterning that wraps around us like a skin and blotches and tattoos itself over us and constricts us. And you're wearing this skin all the time, it begins to feel like normal, you know, like this is really me, this is, this is the real world, because you, you know, you wear this thing every day, yeah, sure, it feels like normal. And, uh, you know, then from that place we can, you know, we start to maybe even think of something like meditation or Buddhism or awakening or, and then you can couch it in those same terms like, oh, this is a chance to, you know, get rid of all that and try something new, you know, or it, um, but it's not about getting rid of all that, it's about actually holding that and clearly focusing on it and breathing and being with that in, in an allowing way and it, things unfold by themselves things will unfold this is kind of like you know there's the details on that of course some things take quite a lot of of um, space and time and uh, blessing and care and attention to do that. But that, the general process of it is it's, I can't do it, but it will happen. Hmm. Just like I really can't breathe, but it happens. And the more I can't do it, the better it happens. The more full and... and, and uh, um, Wonderful it is. And that's where I want to be. You know? And when one has tasted some of that, this is, this is what to be true, this is what it is to be true. And then from this position, this is, this is the best, isn't it? Then, because of this, and I don't want to lose this, maybe... You know, one's prepared to try to live one's life in that place with the risks and the uncertainties and the challenges that brings up, the obligations to make everything work or right or fit. Some of these one holds in oneself, I've got to be this and so forth. Some of we hold for others, I've got to make it work for them. You know. People get very obliged, and obligation has a, has a tightening effect, and we can go into that. We driven again. Well, of course, from the, that particular state, we say, "Well, if you're not, then we think if you're not living under obligation, then we're not." And not being responsible or caring, but actually, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, is that our systems are naturally responsive. 
and caring. But they're not obliged to be. They, they do that. You know? It's quite a natural, empathy is a natural experience. It happens all the time. You know, I look at a horse, I feel some kind of empathy, sentient being. You know, don't want it to be hurt. I admire it. Enjoy its strength. Appreciate it for what it is. Um, you know, want it to be what it is. Don't want to see it suffer. It's not because I'm a, I haven't got a thing about looking after horses, but I see one, that's what happens, you know. Don't, don't have to do it. So then, you know, from that, if I see something I can do that, you know, is for its welfare, then I will do that. Don't, don't go around worrying every day about how many horses I'm going to help today. <laughs> and so, so similarly, you know, just trying to trust one's life. And also to have the, the, what's the equanimity, which means that well, those horses are going to die, whether I like it or not. And uh, whether I like it or not, quite a few of them probably will suffer and have pain and colic and stones in their hooves and flies and so forth. Um, you know, that's what it's like. And these are just ways really to, to check. We're not making these into ideological statements of, of indifference or anything of this nature. But just finding the balance whereby we can, from the truth of presence, we can perhaps begin to navigate and understand a truth of response, a true response which is even and, and true and real. And we don't get ourselves boxed up, you know, painted into corners. Which um, I think certainly seems to be quite a strong habit. You know, I can do this. I think the, the me structure does it. My good intentions and so forth, I'll tend to follow those structures and constructions and that have become me. And then sooner or later, you know, I find that I've sort of constructed myself into a situation that is it's kind of shutting me down or 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 or, or um or an obligation in it or a feeling of um constriction in it. And of course, you know, you can say, well, them and him and her and that and this and that and the other but I did it, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm part of that. And uh, it's, it's so, you know, the, the uh, knack for self-deception is such that one can always, you know, miss oneself out of the picture of what's going wrong in life, you know, or, 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 put, or put yourself too much in it, because it is a mutual thing. We do get conditioned by situations and we do condition situations, you know. So it, it's that flow. We are in constructed realm. It does tend towards creating constructions in ourselves. Our own constructions then do the fine tuning on that, and so you get this continual feedback loop of the constructed, constructing more constructions. It's sankara is what's called. Sankaras intensify and detail further sankaras and so on 
ad infinitum. So he signed, found himself in very particular, personal, um, familiar log jams of, why have I got here again? You know, with the same nagging sense of, it's, it's old, you know, it's here again. And you get the treading water feeling of, you know, in my life I've just got to this same place again, different feel, different set of people, different this, but the same kind of log jam of feeling, carrying this, worrying about that, trying to make that happen and feeling no good or not good enough or flawed either in myself or, you know, people, you know, the situation around me is a flawed one. You know, this is... And then, oh, God, something new. Get out, something new. You know? <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> the new world order. But, you know, we, we, if we haven't really understood the old world order, there's not going to be a new world order. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a, a re- repeat in different theatre, perhaps. So I think it's really important to, you know, hold hold it. The, the pain, the, the suffering of it, the pain of it, the confusion of it, the, you know, the sense of it is not quite right. And before we try to jump out of that, you know, however that is, and it might come down even to the present moment. Wait a minute, can I, without changing anything, just change my attitude towards that? Feel it in the body, and breathe in, and breathe out, and let, let a naturalness resonate through that, through wherever we're at. This is a suggestion, just to, so that, you know, it's, it's only part of the whole process, but it's a key part, because then it's, it's recognizing, hey, you do have a resource, you do have a, a refuge, you do have a, a fundamental wisdom, fundamental purity, which is not conceived and not ideological and not righteous and not, you know, a fundamental core presence and core truth. Don't deny that. However, you know, stupid and ham-fisted some of the constructions are that we can come up with. At the core of it, you know, human being is all right. And it's a matter of really trying to not, you know, to stay, to be with that, to keep coming back to that, almost to invite that into the way we act, to almost to, to risk and dare to act from our truth and make mistakes and fumble, get it right, because it's an important thing to learn. And, uh, you know, certainly... Uh, when we have these uh, uh, time you know, holidays, a few days, rather than just the meditation period, and there's a chance to really begin to learn what is speech, what is speaking, hmm. what happens when I see other people, what happens when I see somebody I know, known for a long time. What happens there? What happens to something I've never seen before? What happens when I... Why do I want to, what's the speaking instinct about? Or what's the not wanting to speak instinct about? You know, It's fun to contemplate some of these very 
initial ways in which we come from core presence into activity, not what am I going to do about the garden fence, you know, that's a bit far. But what, 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 how does it actually come from that into, you know, conceiving one's world, what belongs to me? What does belonging mean? What does mind mean? You know, things like this. So you come into some of the, the more fundamental structures before you go into all the details. It's quite a careful process coming from the core to the periphery. So, who do I belong to? What does that mean, really? Is it, you know, tethered, chained, dumped on belonging? Or is it warm, connected, interested in belonging? Is it belonging where I feel, hey, there's room for me here. I'm part of this. It's not just, I've got a, you know, I'm, the, I'm just the, the donkey underneath it. But, you know, it's mutual, isn't it? You know, the, the, the people I belong to really means people I'm alive with, who are interested in where I'm at, I'm interested in their welfare, and we, we belong to each other. You know, what, what does this mean? What does belonging to a place or a situation mean? Or, so you can kind of examine some of these fundamental um, structures in our world, so that the old constructions that have come in a blurred, hasty, compulsive way uh, can be examined. And that which is not necessary, why carry that? Whose is that? Who does that belong to? It's not mine. Where did that come from? Just leave it where it is. So, this is our kind of reflection for for our life. If you say you know, the eightfold path is a quality of really contacting what is dhamma as balance, as the place where it's light and free, you know. And then how does that come into the how we, our world is constructed, you know? Activity, um, needs, um, needs for safety, security, uh, relationships with people, um, speaking, you know, moving around, entertaining oneself, enjoying oneself. What do these things mean? What are they for? And how does it all come together? So, you know, when you have some time. And it's so important to have these these breaks when you have a you know a week or so you have a holiday, then really make it something that is a holy day, a sacred time to review. For a community here, the blessings uh, we have a period three month retreat, you know for just this kind of uh, cultivation. You've got to come back to that, that core presence time and time and time again. You know? the, the, constructed, the constructed world is, uh, which is, is not, certainly not out there. It's my skin. 
it's me. <laughs> you know, that's the problem. If it was out there, it'd be all right. But it, it's no longer out there. It's, 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 you know, it's tattooed. It's my skin. It's the way I act and think. My, my nerves jump. That's the constructed world. It's right in my synapses. Um, so, some that you've got to be able to, you know, not use situations in order to affirm or quarrel with or make, take a stand on. But can I, is there a dropping through that? This is, this is the deepening of meditation. Can I actually find a situation I come out of being me? Not not that I'm going to be somebody else, or try to deny this, but actually just you know see or feel beneath the meanness something more more ultimate, more universal, more primal. So the me is not constructed, you know, in in the in that through ignorance and fear, but can be come just a useful um, instrument. You know, specifying in time that which is timeless. But really contemplate how, how e- even things like retreats and meditation can get hijacked by this c- constructed me. How long do I get? Where will I get to in a month's time? Will I have enough of this? When I get my space, you know, how good am I at it? Um, you know, these kinds of things. You know, I want to be with everybody. I don't want to be with anybody. These are all the ways in which we miss the point. Because you know, this, uh, this skin of I am is something that we continually miss the point of and see you know, what you, when you look through that you see, you see the world around you through that it get immediately constructed as something out there you know in time and people and events and you, you don't see it it's, you know, it's, the, it's the skin over your, one's own eyes that we're looking at but we can it can be a coming out of that and it's in the the uh, beauty of this Dhamma is that, that coming out is not far away. It is the, the imminent, the present, the here and now, the, that which is not, a, not delayed in time, available, accessible, a reflection on Dhamma. And to really make it something that means, it's not just ideas, but what, do you ha- what can you... What is immediate here and now? More immediate than the, the constructions of how well I am at it and how good I am at it and what I could make of it and what the tradition says about it, but much more immediate than that. Mm. Available. Or panaical. So, this is our uh, reflection for you know, practice, new year, old year, any old year. <laughs> Remember, <coughs> believe in these little numbers that keep changing. As you get older, you can't keep up with them. 
I found myself writing 1990, 1993 on letters and realised we got into the next century. <laughs> this could be a problem. <laughs> so, um, to sort of come back to the realm of time and place, then this evening, December 31st, 2003, at 11.30 precisely, then there will be the opportunity to, uh, we thought, why we often, <coughs> um, you know, commemorate or mark the time, is a ch- we have a time when you can, we write things down, and these are as a way of, of, just seeing what what residues are there, what the say difficult residues, you know, maybe just one or two, right? maybe a lot, but perhaps just the mo- two most difficult ones that you can kind of see that they still have some potency there, and you being able to almost articulate them to yourself. See, oh yeah, there still is that grief or that regret or that irritation. Oh, that's helpful is to do that, put it, write it down on a bit of paper. And we'll bring the paper in, so that'll be 11.30. And then also you can write down, what is, you know, when you come into presence, what is, what is that? We might say it's the blessed, or the wonderful, or the here and now, or the safe, or the whatever it is. And you write that down. So then we take those out to the, the stupa and, they, and then burn them. So it's a way of, we circumambulate the stupa and set fire to these things. It's a way of just, you know, taking something up and letting it go. So that will take us to about, so we write things down for a while and we chant some parita. And then about midnight we go out and circumambulate the stupa, and then go back to the house for a, in case anyone has made anything hot and pleasant to drink. Uh, uh, so if you can stay for that, and it, uh, then we will continue a vigil until um, 3.30, 4 in the morning. We'll do some chanting at 3.30. So you're invited to to persevere that, those of you who have the energy and the opportunity to do so. Mm. Really recommend it if you're well enough. It's, it's for, you know, do these things not as some kind of punishment, but as a way of deepening and strengthening a practice. Anyone? Andamayan, Damagataya, Sadhu, Karan, Dada,